Are you guys ready up there? Hi, and welcome to Women in Film and Television Ireland's podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsler. I'm a producer and I'm also a board member of Women in Film and Television. Screen Ireland's POV scheme was created to support women filmmakers and in 2020, four live action fiction titles were commissioned under this scheme, each with a budget of €400,000. Our Vice Chair, Yara Valdich, chatted with POV writer-directors Kate Dolan and Antonia Campbell-Hughes last April about their two films, You Are Not My Mother and It Is In Us All. Everybody, thank you very much for joining us. Um, you tuned into a conversation with uh, Antonia Campbell-Hughes and Kate Dolan. They are uh, experienced uh, directors and Antonia also uh, has a vast uh, experience as, a, as an actor. Um, I uh, will be talking to them about their debut features that were um, made under the POV scheme um, introduced by Screen Ireland a few years ago. And uh, I, I agreed. I agreed with both Antonia and Kate that they would introduce themselves shortly. Um, because um, their their bios are long and impressive. You can read uh, everything about them on our website, but I'm just going to hand it over now to, I'm going to go first name al alphabetically. So first to Antonia. Hello, welcome. And please tell us just a little bit about um, how you came to, to, to doing the POV film. What is your background and how did you arrive there? My background. Uh, so, hello, first. Um, um, so I guess I have been writing sort of as long as I've been acting, which is a very long time. Uh, randomly, my first acting job was in comedy. It was like a BBC comedy series, which um, it was going back a long time. <laughs> and it was so like I knew nothing about comedy. I couldn't do an English accent. Um, it was all really new. But and it, but what I did learn is that um, the comedy world is very inclusive. And so they very much encouraged me to start writing. And so that's how that began. And I was sort of, I learned along the way. And I, so I'd always been writing television, sort of. And then I started doing, uh, I left comedy and I started making, being an actor in films, but continued writing. And then I started doing, uh, having film scripts in development with Screen Ireland. And they'd always get to a certain point, but it was always a very long process. Mm -hmm. So that continued and continued. And then when the POV scheme came up, I was approached and said, maybe I should try, I should um, apply for this scheme. And my first initial thought was, well, I have one project that's been in development for 10 years and another that's been in development for two years, so finance those. But it was a fair point that was brought to my attention that perhaps my first feature as a director because I already made two shorts with mm -hmm. them, and one Northern Ireland screen and BFI, um, that maybe my first feature would be more appropriately um, at a smaller budget rather mm -hmm. than a two million or something. Wonderful, yeah. brilliant. Thanks, Antonia. And now over to Kate. Hi, Kate. Thank you so much for joining us. So, uh, following Antonia, can you tell us something? Uh, how how did you get to the POV? Um. Yeah. Sure. So. Um. Basically, um, I suppose I graduated from uh, IDT, the National Film School in Ireland, um, in 2012, I think it was. And 
after that I was kind of a bit aimless and didn't kind of really understand that I wouldn't start working in film straight away so I worked in an ad agency for a year and a half and I mm-hmm. uh, found that that office life wasn't for me so I kind of took a leap of faith um I'd been writing while I was working there and I wrote a short film and that film was called Little Doll and it, I got a uh, into the Berlin Alley talent campus um, to develop it in a short film script station thing. Mm-hmm. So I did that and that was great. And then because um, I had done that, uh, the film Little Doll then premiered at Berlin Alley in 2016. So um, even though we kind of self-funded that short on Indiegogo, uh, it had its premiere at Berlin Alley, which was like brilliant for us. And then, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of caught the attention of Screen Ireland then when I went to apply for Focus Shorts funding um, where I did uh, get some funding for a short film I made called Cat Calls um, Mm -hmm. which was a horror short. Little Doll was more of a drama um, kind of uh, kids coming of age movie and Cat Calls was a bit more uh, dark and sinister um, and fun. <laughs> so I uh, always wanted to do horror, but it never, it, we were kind of, um, I guess, pushed more towards prestige drama, uh, maybe okay. in college a little bit, because horror was seen as a bit silly at that time. I think it was a bit kind of all over the place. So, uh, but then people started to take horror seriously. So when POV came along, I had just done Cat Calls really with Screen Ireland. Um, so it was kind of a perfect position to do a feature. I had uh, a project in development with Screen Ireland as well, which um, I was doing with Wild Atlantic Pictures, but that was kind of, you know, chugging along. It was definitely going to need more money than that. Um, mm-hmm. So I had a kind of rough idea for POV, which was like a page long idea. And uh, I had met D Levens of Fantastic Films a few times um, at different events and stuff like that. So basically I know Fantastic did horror this was kind of a horror idea so she just said well we just go for it and like a week before the deadline I just wrote a 10-page treatment off that kind of idea and just got it in and then uh, we're here now so that's wow yeah Yeah. that sounds wonderful so so both of you had already been a little bit um, on the radar of Green Ireland I hear and they they kind of uh, in your case, Antonia, encouraged you to to go for POV, and then UK just felt that you you had an idea that would fit. So I wonder. So the I know that the budget for POV was limited to four hundred thousand euro per per feature. So I wonder how did you like? Did you, um, Kate? You kind of already answered it. You said that you had something that would fit that budget. But what about you, Antonia? Did you feel that you um, like had to kind of uh, uh, squeeze something into to fit into that budget or um you, you um, just knew exactly where you wanted to go with that with no that I mean that, well that I think it's quite that's quite an interesting question because I've been in a lot of low budget films like a lot <laughs> and so um and I've I mean I've always been that kind of actor though I was very curious about how things were made and um I've always been really interested in how such incredible cinema can be made for a small budget. And I like um, constraints. 
I shouldn't say this because now no one will give me more money. But um, I do. I think people, when you have to be resourceful, sometimes that's when the best creativity comes about. And um, I, you know, I like people who are very innovative. And uh, so I really learned about how to make low budget films, sort of by being in them. Um, mm -hmm. And then I also was, I've always been quite uh, frustrated by when you see the wa wastes of money. Like I've been also in lots of films where there's been massive budgets and you see it flittering away and the end result's kind of garbage. Um, so when I wrote mine, I knew what the budget was that I was writing for. And the main comment throughout, and I know that the major anxiety from the powers that be was how would I possibly realize what was on the page with the budget at hand and um i was always quite adamant that it was absolutely not an issue but it was tricky <laughs> in the end <laughs> okay but you know there was as kate and i'm sure we'll both go on to talk about it was tricky because of covid mm -hmm. not really the budget because so much the the, it, the constraints just multiplied okay all right. Uh, interesting. So, I mean, uh, to our viewers, we'll just say, so you both got to shoot your your feature uh, during, was it the second wave of COVID, like towards the end of the year? Um, yeah. I don't well, waves. Yes. I think, <laughs> well, um, Antonia was, I think they were about two or three weeks before us, because mm -hmm. I remember her yeah. focus puller came off that film and joined us when we yeah, were two yeah. weeks in. Horrible. Um, so uh, yeah, I think we both were around that kind of October wave, whatever you call it. I think second yeah. wave. Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. like we started, um, I remember my actor arrived and it was a net, we were, I think on day one or something and it went into level four. And literally I remember driving from one location in my little pup -pup car, because everyone would try travel separately, you know, in individual vehicles and hearing it on the news and going, well, that's it. See you later, <laughs> we're done. And then it didn't continue. And then a few days later, we we're all sort of on, on tender hooks or tender hooks. I never, never, if it's tender or tender. Yeah. I'm not the one to help you here. I think tender hooks. Tender, it's not tender. Yeah, I, I think nice. so. I'm not sure. Um, about whether it was going to be announced to go into level five and it went to level five and yet we continued. So yeah, it was like on the highest level of lockdown, right? You had that mm -hmm. too, Kate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so let let's um, let's just uh, talk a little bit about the the you mentioned the budget, how it actually made everything more difficult. COVID for you. So you think that if you if that was not uh, COVID, you would have been just fine, like with the budget that you were allocated. But what had to happen for you to make it under COVID? Um. Well, I I mean. We did get some, I think all the projects got us some additional money to the 400K to deal with some of the COVID pressure, like, cause there is cost involved in terms of having a COVID officer and having tests every week and having PPE for all the crew. And um, so that wasn't taken out of our main budget, I'm pretty sure. Um, I mean, I'm not the producer, so I'm not, I don't have the numbers, but uh, the, so the, you know, that kind of strain was taken off. I think the COVID strain was more to do with, less to do with the money, but well, for me personally, it was kind of making compromises, you know, at that budget, you're already making creative compromises because you can't mm -hmm. afford a steady cam. You have to use a gimbal. You can't afford X, you have to use Y. And um, so stuff like that, you know, um, 
you're already making those compromises with budget, but I think with COVID, you know, we would get, be trying to get a location or we would think we would have a location and then they would basically say, no, for level five, we're shut and you can't come in, even though it will be completely vacant and nobody's here. Um, mm -hmm. And so those, I think the locations side well, of things was like the biggest hardship because you think you have a great location and then you go, okay, I've planned all my shots for this location. And then basically that gets snatched out from under you, like with not that much time to figure things out. So that, I think that was the biggest heartbreak in terms of COVID. Absolutely. Agreed, absolutely, locations. Okay, and do you feel, did you also feel that, that let's say as far as the, the style of filming, like you had to change the way of filming, maybe of framing or uh, maybe making scenes smaller in the, in the sense of how many people were in the scene? Did you have to kind of reform uh, uh, the film uh, structurally and maybe even story-wise to, to fit the physical needs of the isolation uh, that was required to, to stay healthy during, during this time? Me or Kate? Either. <laughs> you go ahead, you go ahead. <laughs> um, it actually quite suited my film, but because mine is, you know, uh, it was meant to be this sort of like, it was specifically written for, for a part of Donegal that looks quite like Mars. And I wanted it to be that he descends into this like alternate realm, you know, with infinite dimensions. And it's it was that sort of um, in-between world, approximation to science fiction that I was doing. So that kind of uh, lent to it being quite isolated. But um, uh, yeah, things that were very, very difficult were locations, you know, just not being accessible. You know, mm. certain things like you need a church, a church is a church. But so initially, before all this began, I really was trying to conceive of whether I could do it all in studio at a very low cost and have everything, <clears throat> excuse me, everything as a set design, kind of, you know, somewhat abstractly. And that was a cost I kept looking at whether I could justify doing that. Um, so I did half, half of that. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. So actually it, my, my film just happened to suit the limitations as well, but just very simply, you know, uh, it was impossible to get a shop, you know, and mm -hmm. where I was filming, I think there was two shops and just in general, there was very few buildings. Okay. And so, yeah, it was just very hard to access locations. And just before I move on to Kate with that same question, I want to ask you, Antonia, could you tell our listeners just briefly, what is your film about? It is in all of us. What is it about? It is in us all. Um, it, sorry, <laughs> it is in us all. No, it's fine. It's an awkward title. Um, so, I mean, basically it's about a man who is, he lands in Ireland, he's going back to um, sign off on paperwork of an inherited home, place where he's never visited before. And in the first instance, there is a incident and that sort of plummets him into sort of a, an alternate reality, but it is about fatalism and the um, ability to harness vitality and the want for life <laughs> so, <laughs> but it is uh, you know it is about connectivity and yeah connectivity mm -hmm. molecular and intellectually well and i can't emotional. wait to i can't wait to see that because you first described it as as a man landing on on mars 
I'm, I'm <laughs> borrowing your words, uh, but uh, and now connectivity and wonderful. Thank you. And so, Kate, uh, um, back to that question: Did you find that that um, you had to change your film structurally in some way? Um. Um. I mean, when we were going into it, we thought we might. Basically, it's about a, a teenage girl who lives with her grandmother and her mother, and then her mother's kind of suffering from undiagnosed depression. Um, and then her mom goes missing, uh, basically. And when she returns, her behavior becomes increasingly strange. And the protagonist, the teenage girl, uh, starts to unearth kind of, I suppose, her family history in a way that she's never understood before. And it's really about kind of like, um, trauma in your family and how somebody coming of age how you kind of inherit that or you kind of carry it on and how to break a cycle or how to kind of take on those things but without letting them take you take you completely um and it's mm -hmm. set on halloween uh halloween week and it ends on halloween night which is lots of fun and has a bonfire in the final scene <laughs> well, we have a bonfire too uh, yeah i, I yeah think everyone has that. bonfires i think in the pov movies that's what i've heard Really? Do you have a ballet dancer? No, no. <laughs> well, so it's they're not identical these movies. So no. Phew. All um, right. But yeah, I think did I have to change anything creatively? You know, there was a lot of talk when we were uh, in prep, and it was kind of like you know, there's a lot of scenes where um, you know the teenage girl is being kind of affronted by other girls from her school and they make her smoke a joint and they're passing it back and forth and you know the logistics of that we're like okay art department has to make a hundred fake joints and each girl has to have one in her hand and you have to kind of do this magic trickery so they're not like taking it in their mouth at the same oh. like the same mm -hmm. one or whatever so you know there's stuff like that where just like little logistic things we figured out but um our standby props person was kind of amazing and um, she was kind of upskilling and she just was so on top of all that kind of stuff making sure hand props were sorted out and that kind of thing but yeah we had a lot of worries about that kind of thing but I think when we were getting tested twice a week um it became a bit more relaxed in terms of I had my pod with the cast and if cast members were together in a scene you know you're not gonna you're not going to creatively compromise on people being together in a scene or a stunt mm -hmm. or anything like that because of COVID when you're being tested all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like it mm -hmm. just, so it kind of ironed itself out. Um, I don't think creatively we changed that much. I think your access to things and your ability to kind of be a bit more free is maybe constricted slightly. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, I've only ever made a film, my debut feature during COVID. I've never made a feature film before. So it just became part of the stress of making your first film, I guess. It was yeah, just like yeah. part okay, of maybe, it. Maybe we can have you back after you've made your second features and then we can compare. Yes. Um, <laughs> Um, so I would really love to know what was the process for, for let's go back to Antonia now, um, what was the process for you from the beginning to now getting almost there to having your feature finished? Like how did the development process of your idea, uh, how did it go? How how did your story change a lot or did, did you it, mean did from it, script? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I forgot um, to say from mm -hmm. the script. Yeah, um, to be honest. 
I don't, I never felt that there was much change from my first draft to my last draft, um, mm. which is really unusual. I mean, people ask me about writing a lot and they're like, how do you do it? You know, what's the trick? And I'm like, it's just hard. That's all there is to it. I've written a, a lot of really terrible scripts, not terrible, just that don't work as well. And for some reason this, I mean, I did, you know, we had to submit with, um, you know, uh, like I think 20 pages of outline or treatment or something. I can't remember. It was like, you know, um, your statement and synopsis and all this, you know, those things that you put together in treatment and then 20 pages of script. Mm -hmm. And so I submitted that. And then when I got through the first tier, whatever it was, 12 people or something, um, I went into a room and I, I, a lot of times when I've written scripts, there's been TV or other features. And I was very, um, we did that like three day weekend thing. Do you remember that Kate? We sat around, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like there were lecturers and people talk, speakers and all that. And there was a lot of talk about script structure writing. And I was like, no, I don't believe in it. But I actually went away and I did um, like the eight sequence, the eight thing, one of, one of them. And I actually did that. I went to a room for like two weeks and wrote the script in the two weeks. And it was kind of ready to go then. I mean, there were notes and it, script development was really good. I had an amazing woman called Angelie McFarlane mm -hmm. um, and she and I instantly gelled and she really understood it, which I think is so important. Um, I'd never really worked very well with, or ever worked with a script advisor. And I think someone who really cares as much about your project is gold. Mm -hmm. um, she's really spectacular. I really understood what I was trying to achieve with it. Um, so yeah, the script development kind of was more um, maybe practical about trying to really home in, you know, um, uh, the protagonist's purpose, like for an audience to really understand and be with him. Mm -hmm. And then when COVID began, there was obviously the COVID pass, which was keeping people okay. apart from each other. And, you know, I had all this stuff in water, which had to be taken out. And I kept going, how does the sea have anything to do with COVID? And um, I couldn't quite understand that, but it was just about costs. Anything where costs could be reduced okay. had to come out as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, but then there was obviously obstacles because I had an actor attached from like, I was going to initially shoot in February, like okay. a year ago, uh, more, you know, a year and something. I was trying mm -hmm. to shoot in February. Um, and my actor's availability, that's because he was going to Canada to shoot a TV show. So we put so much work into having him uh, signed off like a hard end date with, uh, Apple TV and all this stuff. And then the first call I think I made in March when this began was, uh, I think we're gonna have a problem with dates. And so that was all a big thing and recasting. Mm -hmm. So I had to go through all that as well. Okay, and so uh, one, just one additional question. Did you keep your lead actor or did you have to recast? No, him? I recast. You recast, all right, all right. But Thank only you. for better. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, no, so no, but I was very lucky, but you know, it's it's, it's just funny how things you I mean, again, yeah. I know this is, I suppose, what things that I'm used to in having worked in the industry for a long time, things like that were not surprising to me because mm -hmm. I have experience of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So, Kate, what about you? How did the script uh, develop for you from the initial idea to being accepted to this POV and then you being now in, in the post, post uh, on it? Um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think um, to kind of reiterate what Antonio was saying, the, the, the development process that Screen Ireland set up for it, I, I think was really helpful. Um, so they set us up with a script supervisor script editor and um, to kind of hash out all the ideas at the start to get the kind of first couple of drafts like working. Um, and I found that really helpful. Uh, I had Anna Seifert Speck, who I actually had as a mentor on Berlin Ally Talent. So I had met her before and I knew her. So that was really great. Um, and she kind of helped the film get its first iteration as a proper, you know, script that was all working um yeah I think like the most you know with the budget this size the first thing that kind of happens well for us anyway was that you know the amount of days you can actually be on set shooting is limited um mm -hmm. so then you're kind of playing a game of compromise in terms of um okay well if you want to keep in those scenes then you will only have like this, <laughs> you know, like get it all in one setup kind of thing. Do yeah, you know what yeah, I yeah. mean? Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like, so you kind of have to uh, weigh up because we had big set pieces in some of our, you know, there were scenes with water, there were scenes with a bonfire, there were scenes with a, a horse in it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. There were scenes with a baby. Um, so we kind of had all these ambitious things and I didn't really want to like dilute the ambition of it in terms of those things. Cause you know, you need your finale with a bonfire, but, um, so then it was kind of a matter of, okay, well then you need to chop off 10 pages of script and get rid of fluff or stuff that maybe, you know, you might not necessarily need, which was probably a good thing in many ways. Cause mm -hmm. I think when the script was kind of coming to, you know, its final iterations, it was probably closer to 120 pages, but when we shot, it was probably about 90. Um, okay. So, you know, that's, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you kind of just have to trim the fat and go, okay, this is where, if we want to actually shoot this thing, get it done, you need to kind of make some compromises. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the key is that thematically, it, it was the same movie. Do you know what I mean? Once mm -hmm. it's saying the same things and it's, your character's arc is full and it makes sense. Um, you know, that's the most important thing, really. The other stuff mm -hmm. kind of just gets you there. So, um, yeah, once it was kind of thematically chiming, that was the most important thing for us. So it wasn't like kill your darlings too much. It was, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, but basically you did all, all the, like, uh, the, the fortunate filmmakers that get to shoot everything and then leave it on, uh, leave scenes on the editing uh, room floor. You basically did that before. So you have nothing now to leave on the editing room floor, <laughs> right? You, you cut it way before you ever shot it. Kind of, yeah, actually. It was, um, you know, we went very thoroughly through it in prep and went, okay, will this scene be in it in the end? No. Um, do we 100% need this? No, because we mm -hmm. just needed the time to get the give the time to the stuff that needed it more. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, we did a good bit of that. So you know what you see in the edit um, is pretty much all in the script. Uh, we didn't have anything where we kind of cut out 
Mm-hmm. Scenes full, like the, all the scenes that are in the script are in the film now, mm-hmm. and we're picture locking this week. So, unless uh, something crazy happens in the next couple of days, <laughs> that they'll be there. Good luck to you. Good luck to you. And how <laughs> far along is yours, uh, Antonia? Um, I locked a while ago. Uh, so I'm going. We're just we're doing the sound uh, sound at the moment, and I think I go back in to do the final mix. Like in a, a week, two weeks, I fly mm-hmm. back. Brilliant. And tell me, um, what was the, what was prep like? Uh, so I presume, I mean, did you do prep while while we were uh, in, in level five? And if so, how how like what? Say somebody who's planning on doing a, a feature uh, now, uh, while we're still not fully open, what would you recommend maybe that people look at? Or how can they get uh, get a prep done as, as best as possible under those circumstances? Antonia, uh, if you want to take that. Uh, I mean, it, just the general question, or rather than, I, th- I think it totally depends on the feature, you know, the, the tone of the film. I mean, like mine, I wanted my film to be very still and uh, uh, I, I specifically wanted it to be very stylized and cinematic in a certain way. So lighting with a, a stage, you know, so that was a big part of mine. Um, very, I was very specific about my landscape choices because it had to sort of give that other world alien sort of uh, feeling. So that was a big process. I was very particular about the house exterior. So that determined um, where geographically we were shooting. Mm-hmm. But mainly it was about designing the the set. And so I put a lot of work with my production designer, John Leslie, into that. And, and did you do of all of did you do all of that like on Zoom or could you physically meet or no, I, I went to people. <laughs> you did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. I, yeah, I chose materials, I chose every piece of furniture, everything that went in, every color, every wash, everything I did with my wonderful the team but that's what's yeah but that's i think as well what i noticed is the way we were shooting was we were in an isolated pod everybody nobody left or saw a loved one or a family member or a partner or anything for eight weeks wow like we're so way more down low there's no shops there's no bars no rest i mean nothing's open but there was nothing it's very isolated place anyway so we took over the community center, which normally also doubles for the school, the church, the shop, the everything. So there was nowhere to go and nobody. So I think I've noticed a lot of productions that are happening, have happened since then and subsequently and whatever, is there are COVID cases, but that's because people go home at night or go home at weekends, Yeah, you know? And so I think, you know, and that's, then you need additional costs and that's when there's going to be problems. So you know, if, if it's a low budget film and you want to keep people safe or not contaminate or whatever the word is, don't go home. Don't go home. Oh. And just tell me, <laughs> was your eight weeks, did that include the prep and? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we shot for five weeks. Sorry, we shot, oh, well, mm, just under five weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then, you know, we had to be there a few weeks before building the stage, you know, things like that. And do you think that if you if you didn't have to uh, stay there for those eight weeks because of COVID, 
was your film actually structured that way that you wanted it anyway to be this tight for that long? Uh, no, I mean, because I looked at possibly shooting in Wicklow. We looked mm -hmm. at a studio there. Um, again, it was money, it was balancing budget. Okay. And so then it worked out that we found this wonderful community center uh, near the house exterior that I'd chosen, which is in this very, very remote place. So it was just because, you know, we couldn't really travel more than a car, a um, an hour's distance between locations. It was just, you know, there wasn't enough time in the day. And so there's a lot of work in terms of mapping things out geographically, mm -hmm. travel uh, per shoot day. And um, yeah, so uh, it just kind of it turned out that way. It was, it was all about balancing pros and cons mm -hmm. and what was going to work out the best. Uh, okay. And with, with COVID, just it made sense to be in quite a remote place and people all living there yeah yeah which i, I quite like in terms of filmmaking anyway like uh, films that i've been in it's a very different energy when everybody lives together mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. quite a special thing that happens you know mm -hmm. so kate what, what was it like for you um well, on we, one, yeah we were filming in uh, north dublin um that's kind of an intrinsic part of the story really um so it had to feel a little bit more urban and populated so uh yeah our crew and our cast were all all getting germinated uh, when they went home <laughs> <or whatever>. um, <laughs> but we were you know i feel like people have um i think until you're in it you have a lot of kind of worry about how COVID will affect XYZ but like I feel like film makers and people who work in film are really resourceful and problem solving um so I think like once we had been in prep for a week all wearing our masks all sanitizing all being socially distant in the kind of community hall where we had our offices set up to do our prep and rehearsal and stuff um that you know it just felt normal then, do you know what I mean? You just kind of mm -hmm. get into swing of it. And then once you're getting tested and stuff, um, you get your negative result and you go, okay, I'm not too worried then about the next couple of days because I'm probably going to be fine because I'm just going to be going home to bed after this. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, you get kind of used to it. I think, um, yeah, it didn't affect our, like I feel like COVID didn't really affect our prep and that kind of stuff too much um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and did you make most like most of it uh, in person were you able to to interact with your HOVs that yeah, way I think or? you have to you know like it's you you kind of have all these ideas that okay let's try and do as many meetings on zoom and as possible and stuff but like to sit in front of like your DOP with a floor plan and go through everything do you know what I mean it just is invaluable like me and Nari Nari Van Mail shot um our feature and he like me and him went to the house that we had gotten as the house location because predominantly it happens in the family home mm -hmm. um and we went there and we were there for most of a Saturday one Saturday walked through every scene and got a camera and basically photo storyboarded the entire thing because mm -hmm. like that's the kind of prep you have to do if you're going to make a film and get it done in the time and that on that budget you know you need to be prepped so much um so i think yeah you need to do the stuff in person because it's just otherwise uh just doesn't really work as well i think mm -hmm. yeah you well that actually just on that i think before i was story 
boarding, but I was in a different, I was in France and there's quite a, um, a while before we began, I think it was in like July and I was doing all that by Zoom actually. But I mean, that was a few months before I shot. So, so we didn't have locations yet, but it was a thing because I had a lot of driving sequences and we're trying to figure out how to do that with budget and how, because I, I did all that remotely, which mm -hmm. is tricky. Yeah, actually. I can imagine, yeah. Um, I just want to invite everyone who's listening. Um, obviously, uh, if, if you have any questions that, that kind of fit in with what Kate and Antonia are saying, feel free to please put them in the Q&A or chat sections here on Zoom. I'll, uh, I'll, um, I'll ask uh, uh, for you um, because I'm sure that there are things that you want to know and I'm not really, I'm not asking them. So please do, do um, write us your questions. There's just a clarifying question here from Leslie Conroy for Kate. She wants to know when you say we, like we uh, went every scene, um, um, does, do you mean you and your producer or? Um, uh, was that to kind of cut out stuff that we didn't need? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a collaborative thing, really. So it, it would be me and Dee Levins produced for Fantastic. So me and her, like, at this point had gone through all the development together. So, you know, she knew the script as well as me. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we kind of went through it. Um, and then also got the editor to read it as well. Because um, he's my one of my best friends from college so he was kind of available to me in the way that maybe an editor wouldn't have been for most other people so mm -hmm. you know anyone you like on the core creative team who could give a kind of an insight into what they thought um obviously not just giving it to anybody to read and tell us to take things out but yeah I think just the creatives that you trust around you your HODs um mm -hmm. get their opinion on what because you know that's great you know to mm -hmm. have other people's eyes on it sometimes you can be a bit too close to it and not have a full yeah. view <laughs> yeah all right brilliant so i just want to take you back a little bit and um go go to the original idea of the pov scheme so this came about when uh when the screen ireland um wanted to address the gem gender imbalance uh in the uh, irish film industry and so they created this opportunity to, to give a chance to um, female filmmaking talent to tell their stories and to also um, kind of help upgrade um, uh, the, the crew. So maybe, maybe the, the hope was that um, even, even uh, other than the producer and writer director uh, would have opportunity to just uh, maybe work with um, a, a bigger budget so I wanna I wanna ask you first of all um, before you before you got onto got got awarded this scheme, did you yourself uh, feel that that was something that was needed? Do you want to go and maybe talk first, Antonia? Um, sure, yeah, because I think it actually applied to my uh, dynamic grouping, whatever. So I was originally applied with. A, a producer called Connor Barry, who I just had worked with before and I've been working with for a long time. So it was quite a short amount of time I've been given between when I'd heard about POV and when I had to submit. Like, I think it was literally a few days. And so I was going, oh, producers, I know. And so obviously I turned to someone I knew and had worked with. So I, I submitted with Connor Barry. And then 
I got to know more about what the concept of POV was, which is about upskilling and female talent and this sort of thing. Um, and so then two young women, um, Emma Foley and Tamron Reinecke of Pale Rebel Productions came on board um, and they've already done a feature and they're wonderful talents, um, but it, that was necessary to, you know, it was very uh, important to have women working um, as the greater, to flesh out the production. And um, so they took over and were fantastic. So that's kind of, um, and then, you know, we tried to be very conscientious about there being a balance of male to female. Um, it's difficult because most of my actors were male. So that was an imbalance. <laughs> yeah. And it couldn't be restructured. I mean, I specifically, I did write specifically a script with no women in it because I thought it was like a pointed objectification of men. But um, that, <laughs> but that doesn't really play when you need to represent um but no specifically it came into play with my female producers mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh what about you kate uh like did, did you have the feeling that that was something necessary or did, did you like was your was your path just taken off no matter uh whether there was a pov or not um i mean it's kind of hard to say um i you know i think it's it's kind of a bit of a minefield. I, I remember when it first came out and lots of people were disgruntled by positive discrimination, I guess. Um, so that was always kind of, you kind of get people talking about female tokenism and that kind of stuff. And it can be a bit of a drag because you're just trying to make your work and do your best and take your step forward for yourself um, and do the next thing that you feel is for you. Um, so that can be kind of rough. Um, I do think like it's, it's you know, it's a pretty transparent that the industry is like skewed, mostly male a lot of the time. Um, and yeah, we could talk about that for 10 million hours. But yeah. let's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we want to spend our time no. doing. Um, no, but I just wanted to briefly touch on it just, just to kind of see if, if that's, you know, since you received it uh, and it, it, it was to highlight or to help equal the, the you know the opportunities if you actually felt that maybe without it you would still be looking um to produce your first feature um i mean possibly yeah it's really hard to know do you know what i mean um it, it definitely i think it's hard for all people starting yeah. out with your first feature um to get your foot in the door or get the leg up the first kind of because as antonio was saying like uh, we both had projects in development, but they were projects that maybe needed bigger budgets. And like, mm -hmm. that's harder to get when you've never made a film before, but that's harder yeah. to get for everybody when you haven't mm -hmm. made a film before a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, um, I'm really grateful for it, definitely. And I think, um, you know, I do think like in our industry and maybe in Ireland as well, like uh, having films that, have a female POV, <laughs> excuse the pun, but um, are really important because, you know, there's, there's stories and characters and people and perspectives that you you maybe haven't seen that much in the Irish films that we know because, you know, that's just the way it is. Everyone has a different point of view and perspective on life and, um, you know, mine is different than yours and mine's different than Antonio's yeah. or whatever, but um, 
I think, yeah, it's, it's important, obviously, to get people to tell their stories. And mine is like a coming of age story of a teenage girl. And, um, you know, I feel like there's not that many of them in the Irish film scape, really, uh, mm -hmm. compar comparatively to like coming of age stories of boys, say. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's important to kind of get different point of views and perspectives um, and give people a foot in the door to yeah. tell those stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, Anthony, I can see you wanted to kind of weigh in there. Uh, did I? <laughs> no, you were. <laughs> uh, no, no but, like, I, but I think what Kate was saying about, like, um, you know, uh, I got a lot of, um, I, I had to question, was I getting opportunity because I was an actor, do you know? And, um, but the thing is, I think all of us, you really have to, the one thing about Screen Ireland is, um, you really have to put the work in, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's a certain path you have to follow. I don't think there was any easy access or easy back door in. Um, so yeah, that was kind of just the, the point I was making, you know, it's just, there's no, um, I don't think it being a, a women's scheme necessarily was like a gifted opportunity. It was sort of a necessary thing to kind of shift the balance. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I mean, I had this conversation with um, somebody I work with, Alexander McGuinness and, uh, um, you know, there was that it was it's very much necessary in the States for there to be all female crews because there's such a wealth of availability of talent and skill that you can have a full female crew. And it's sort of necessary because there's been such a dominant arena of all male crews to almost have to go to that extreme to shift the balance in that arena. You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying. Uh, I look forward to the day when we have our first uh, all-female made feature. Uh, wouldn't that? But I don't think it's. <laughs> I just I don't think it's essential. I mean, I've always thought just best man for the job. Again, excuse me for saying man for the job. That shows my. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is best person for the job. It's kind of what I think. But unless it's necessary to represent people who have not do don't don't have opportunities. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. I think as well. Um you know like even on our film um the we had predominantly female cast so there's only really one or two um lead male cast member like supporting even um all the kind of main cast leading cast were women um so uh, like one just an anecdote to kind of show how like because basically we, we did our best to try and crew the whole crew as much you know balanced as possible and it was really nice having people upskilling because we had a whole art department that it was kind of this was the biggest thing they'd done and they were all upskilling but they were all women in their 20s um, mm. which kind of gave this really fun atmosphere on set because well for me anyway <laughs> probably for the like uh older male gaffers were probably like oh they ever shut up um <laughs> only joking but uh but the, a lot of the cast were these kind of young you know uh gen z gals and hazel dupe was our protagonist in the film and she one day we were all like just kind of she was joking around with all the girls and we were all like laughing at stuff that they were saying um, just in between takes and she turned to me and she was like oh my god I've never felt like this on a set before because um like she's 19 and she was like just men 
never like older men just never think that we're funny they never laugh at anything we say (laughs) they just think we're kind of silly and she was like it's so nice to just be like laughing at each other's jokes and like feel I guess she kind of like meant felt respected and like somebody was kind of like treating you as equal and all that kind of stuff so um you know Mm. it was lovely to hear that from young female cast members on the film because we did have a very kind of young skewed crew I would say and also um you know a lot of young women which you Mm. know in film normally like often when I've worked on commercials or directing stuff like that I'll look around sometimes and I'm the only woman there because it's all kind of men and probably men who are older than me do you know what I mean um Mm -hmm. so yeah it was it was really nice in that way to have a kind of a set where you kind of felt uh like (laughs) you were almost in the majority of kind of young women which was fun Mm -hmm. and enjoyable for all all of us I think that's brilliant I'm happy to hear that and uh, so um I wanted to ask you the the guidance that you got as writers, directors, or, or um, you know, just first time uh, feature filmmakers. Do you do you know or are you aware whether there was the same opportunity kind of uh, maybe offered to to another um, crew or to other crew members that were upskilling kind of alongside of you? Or did you did you kind of have to go to more experience? Say say for example DOPs um, to 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 get this made. Like did you could you have gone to someone less experienced and did they then get could they have gone got uh, help just like you did or what was the story there? Um, I think I'll, just because yeah, sorry, just because we kind of had a thing with that was that it was it was really kind of striking a balance a lot of the time and I was really adamant that I wanted my best friend to edit the film because I think he's an amazing editor and I know we have such a shorthand and he lives five minutes down the road from me and we could edit in his house together and I knew it would just be like the best film if we could do it together and so having him he had never done a feature before he had only done commercials and music videos um really and some and he did my short cat calls but you know there's kind of trade-offs when you do that so then it's like okay you have these people who are upskilling so then you you can't have everybody upskilling um so there was a bit of a kind of a bartering (laughs) system in prep with screen ireland because i think you know they are just it's Screen Ireland are giving you this money so they want to make sure that there's a balance of people who have enough experience that you're not kind of um lost when you're you know on set or whatever not that you would be but um you know it was just kind of reassuring them as well that like not everybody was upskilling in their role some people had uh more experience that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and what about you Antonio how was it for your film um yeah it was very much a a balance. I mean, there are some people that I tried to bring in again, that I had previous relationships with, but maybe uh, hadn't worked in film or television as much. And it was difficult because sometimes this is where I think that particularly is difficult if you don't have much money. You know, if you have the resources, then it's actually easier to upskill, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, but where we did were, were able to achieve that was like, for example, the art department and production design. So some of the art departments were within the team. So have been some people within that uh, 
uh, that team had upskills, you know, and be managed by somebody who's slightly more uh, experienced. Okay, interesting. Um, I have a quick, I have a couple questions here, so I'm going to uh, go to them. Um, uh, again, I'll go first to Leslie Conroy because her question is relevant to what we just now said. She said, "Do we need a Sundance Lab model? Sundance Lab model in Ireland, where fledgling talent can upskill?" Any one of you want to weigh in on that? Uh, can I? Mm -hmm. Go for it. I mean, in a sense, I think that um, like the short schemes at Screen Ireland is that kind of no screen shorts. I mean, it sort of is a form of that. Yeah. I mean, there could be more. I mean, I suppose like script writing labs, but don't they have sort of things like that? I mean, that's what the development is. Well, I I mean, as far as the a, a, a DOPs go, which which is where where um. Like I look at most, uh, there isn't much for for like the you know crew other than um, a creative crew other than say writers, directors, producers. There is very little, and mm. um, so so I I I would have you know I would I would say yes to Leslie <laughs> definitely, but um, because, because I don't see those um, I don't see those opportunities coming. But also I think that. Personally, um, there is a lot of focus put on upskilling people, but a lot of people already exist within our industry that have the skills. And they're just not, uh, you know, they're kind of bypassed for the newcomers who need upskilling, if you know what I mean. Um, so that would be my answer to, to, to Leslie. Um, like there is upskilling for the newcomers but what about what about like we need to look at as an industry on those who already are skilled and you know they, they can they can prove it and those are the ones that kind of are put on the on the side in my opinion um uh yeah go ahead Antonia I can see no I think Kate wants to speak okay no no I just um I I I'm I, Number one, I'm just not familiar what, what the Sundance Lab is really. Um, but I would think what you said there about kind of there is schemes like I came up obviously in focus shorts and that's mm -hmm. but before that, um to get that, I self-funded a short and wrote and directed myself and we yeah. scrounged together and got like everyone to work on it for free and just tried our mm -hmm. best um to get it made. So, you know, I do think you kind of have to put in the work to get to those things as well yeah. um and I think with kind of upskilling crew I would say that yeah there's a kind of an over arching focus on the writers and directors and DPs and kind of when it comes to like art department or even grips and gaffers and I, what I've noticed I'm not from a, a film family um but often when you start working in film in Ireland you find that like all the gaffers are gaffers' sons and they've been taught by their sons before them. And like, you know, our department as well. And even the ADs, do you know what I mean? My mom was an yeah, AD yeah. and now all my brothers and sisters are ADs. Um, that kind of thing. And I think, I guess making kind of pools of talent, because our industry, the only way it's going to grow is if you can't just have all writer directors and then you need the crews that are experienced and skilled to support them. Mm. Um, and when all the crews are being dragged onto Valhalla or XYZ, whatever, 
then you know the independent films suffer because we don't have the kind of skilled crew member we can't even offer them the money to get them mm. but you know they're like yeah yeah the experienced crew members so like I just it's like give the kind of young up the ones that need to be upskilled and that's why POV was good in, in many ways because you know our whole art department were basically that was kind of the biggest thing they'd done and they learned loads and it was brilliant and they were really passionate and it was fantastic but you know maybe there needs to be structures there that like you know there's a school for electricians for film and you get yeah. apprenticeships in where they work on those things and they're people who aren't you know from a film family or not from a film background but they can have opportunities in film and you're probably bypassing a bunch of people that are, could be amazing in those kind of craft mm -hmm. roles but they I you know never got the chance or they don't even know it's an opportunity that they could do yeah mm -hmm. well even like um a couple of years ago I really want I mean I really want to go on to direct huge action uh, sci-fi that's what I want to do and people find that quite bizarre because it don't anyway but um but I was like how do I start doing how do how do I be credible how do I learn to do you know manage very very big sets and so I kept begging my agent to find out if there was any kind of shadowing scheme um, because it's quite common in the States, you know, where you come on and it's very, you were contracted and you brought in to ghost or shadow a director on big shows for a period of time. It's almost like a, a training program or, or apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really hard to get because it's more commonly for people who just graduated. It's very, it's, it's done a lot in the States, but not really so much here um, in the UK, they do it sometimes on some shows, but the, and you can, you can do an apprenticeship like this in many departments as crew. And I think things like that are really important. It's like I was desperate to do it and looked into everything to find ways. And uh, it's kind of hard to access. And I think things like that should be really much more um, available. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely agree with you. Um, so, I, I mean, I think we can all agree that the, the POV scheme was like very ambitious and it, and it definitely helped open up this, this conversation, not just between the three of us, but I know it's a big conversation uh, in the industry. And that, uh, I, I, I mean, for myself, I can only say more of it, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I wonder if our listeners would agree. Um, I want to I want to just drive this slightly back to to your features uh, because I have a question here um, from um, Stephen McKenna. Um, so if, if this is something, feel free to answer whoever wants to go first. Um, he, his question is: Did you get full creative control and final cut of the feature, or um, did you have limits with regard how you made your film? and told your story so as in did you have full freedom to realize your vision not covid or budget related so i wonder if that's something one of you wants to answer did you get full creative <laughs> control and final cut um yeah i did anyway i think we, yeah yeah okay i think screen ireland are um do you know uh people think they're kind of these like gatekeepers who are trying to like stop you making films or like will try to tell you what exactly what to do. But in my experience, um, on my short film and on the feature, Screen Ireland were 
really supportive. The notes were very kind of minimal and, uh, you know, there was nothing kind of, they weren't trying to make you change the story to be something that they wanted it to be. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty hands yeah. off. Hands off, you said. Very hands off, yes. Wonderful. So, mm -hmm. great. I hope that answered the question, Stephen. And, and so um, I wonder what would be like your main takeaways from this process, from making your films under the POV scheme? Um, is there anything that that was like a huge learning curve? Is there something you would have changed or you will take with you into the future kind of what, what to do differently? Go ahead, take it, Antonia. Yeah, you're smiling. You always invite invite me in with your smile. <laughs> me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, any? What are the main takeaways for you? Uh, no, I think it's a really great scheme. I mean, the fact is, we have to keep reminding ourselves that it's very hard to make a film, mm -hmm. and as much as many people do, there are many much more people who can't you know mm -hmm. and i think i have to keep reminding myself of that because i've been around people who've made films over the years but there is such a majority who really don't have the opportunity and i've always i mean i've always been a huge advocate for government funding bodies you know that there's so many um we have one in ireland and they they're quite well respected screen ireland and northern on screen of course obviously but um but it's really lucky to have that endorsement. And, you know, everyone keeps saying making a film in a pandemic is a rare thing. Um, so, yeah, very grateful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And UK? Um, I think somebody asked me what my advice would be after this experience and I uh, recently, and I was just kind of mulling it over. And I think... Um, as it's my first feature and and probably I you know I feel like Antonia's probably been on a lot more sets than me in an acting capacity or however else but um you know I think uh, as a young woman starting out you can be sometimes uh I guess it, it's just like believing in your own vision and standing by mm. your gut instinct um was the main thing I learned on the film was that the decisions that I knew were going to be right usually ended up being the right thing even if you had people telling you otherwise um so I think yeah just stand by your guns and uh trust your gut and um you know just you know it's your film in the end and like <laughs> you share it with like a lot of other people but I feel like as a writer director uh, when you you know are fulfilling both those roles and um, yes. often uh, you know people will come down on you the hardest if it doesn't work <laughs> yeah so, but at, sorry so yeah just I, I think just like you know it's 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 I think it's been an amazing opportunity and I think I was just glad that um I kind of took it as my own and just tried to make it as as my own thing as possible because there was definitely times wavering and then uh, I was lucky D Levins, the producer, is very supportive. And she always told me, she was like, look, this is just mm -hmm. stick with what you, you think is right. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of hopefully will pay um, off in the end. <laughs> hopefully, yeah I'm, yeah. I'm sure it will. Uh, uh, fingers crossed. Uh, Thank you, Antonia. Sorry, I just wanted to add to that. Something I forgot to say earlier when we were talking about 
you know, whether women are being given opportunity at the moment because it's on trend to give women opportunity. And I said, you know, I wondered, was I given opportunity because I was an actor? I saw lots, there was a trend for a while where actors were making directing. But actually what I do think is, I think when financing is given by government bodies like Screen Ireland, they give it to the work that they feel is due it, you know? And so I think that's what, what Kate was just saying about being confident. Be confident in the fact that you are invested in because they feel that it's something worth investing in. And I think the confidence has been to be taken from that because I would only say that because I applied for many, many things over the years and didn't get funding very simply probably because the script wasn't good enough, you know? And so I don't think that we're ever gifted anything. So when you are given funding, you know, I think people, you have to really keep trying, like don't be knocked and then give up and think it's not worth it. You have to really, it's very hard to actually receive funding. And then once you do have it, enjoy it, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's a good well, one. That sound <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean like, enjoy the money. I didn't mean. Like, I get no, it. No, I get uh, it. I understand. And uh, there is, I have a question here, if if I may, from Emma. Uh, sorry, Emma O'Leary. Um, she asks, uh, did much change in the film during the filming and editing process? Well, I think we've already kind of answered that with with Kate, right? You said you 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 kind of stripped um, prior to filming. You you made sure that you you knew what you were going to film so that it would work for you. But do, do you still want to weigh in on that? Did how much did it change? Sorry, how much changed in the filming uh, in the film during the filming and editing process? Um, I mean, like, there's always little things that change, you know, like uh, dialogue and, you know, when an actor brings something and they go, I don't think that this would be the way this is in a scene or whatever, and you rehearse and then you go, okay, just try it that way. And sometimes you just have sparks of things to change slightly. Um, but, you know, that's just part of the process, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So nothing major, like no major changes there for you. And, mm -hmm. and you, Antonia? Um... Again, I think because the process and the development of the script, uh, everything was quite very clearly mapped out. And again, there wasn't really much time or uh, financial scope for to, you know, to have extra bagginess. But my editing process, my editor is John Walters, who cut my two shorts as well. And I knew him for other things. But for me, it was John Walters or nobody. I was very adamant about that. We have... A, a real meeting of minds in terms of what we like, uh, cinema-wise and all sorts, you know, music, etc. And I think these things are quite important. Um, and it was a very close process for the two of us. And I really felt like we shaved the film together. I mean, nuance of performances were very much put together in that process. And uh, and it's, it wasn't changing things dramatically, narratively at all. It was about homing character mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um brilliant um if anyone else wants oh yeah questions are coming in um so I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and then i'll have a couple of my own as well um i have a question from maria oxley uh boardman i apologize if i'm screwing up any names she's asking we heard a bit about antonia's recast of the lead role but could antonia and kate tell us a bit about their casting process and the importance of that for them sure 
Um, no, we'll go to Antonia. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I had an actor who I had been in a film with. So I had the, the luxury of actually, he I was in the middle of a scene. I was in Georgia, the country, in the middle of a scene with him when I got a text saying I got the funding. So it sort of, it felt sort of kismet, you know, that like, and so he was all excited for me and stuff. And then, but also I had the luxury of being able to work very closely with him as an actor for, uh, you know, like six weeks and watch him and, and, you know, without him knowing that I was like, could he do this or whatever? <laughs> and so, um, and but it's a great way to kind of like, without having to audition someone, see whether they can do it, you know, you can. And then he read it and he was really moved by the script and really wants to do it. So that was, so that was my obvious casting and then COVID happened. So I had to recast, but again, these things really happen and they all happen for a good reason. Um, I talked to a lot of actors for my lead role, um, all really fantastic people. I was a bit stuck. And then I met Cosmo and uh, Cosmo Jarvis and Cosmo was very different to everybody else in that. So my character is quite a privileged, excellent, poised male Englishman who kind of breaks down through the process of the film. And so I met lots of privileged, poised male actors um, who were really extraordinary actors, but I loved how different Cosmo was. And we spoke and he was again, very, very moved uh, by the idea of playing this role. And I love, I like complex actors who are kind of go against convention and yeah, I like interesting people and he's a very interesting person. And I like the fact that he was going to sort of build up into something very different. And he's incredibly different in this film than anyone's ever seen him be before. So that was very much uh, a fascinating experience in itself. Wonderful, thank you. And, and what about you, Kate? What is casting, the casting process for you? What does it mean um, to you to cast the right people? Um, I mean, uh, it's kind of interesting. Our film, it's kind of a family uh, based, you know, so our, our protagonist, we like I always wanted Hazel Dupe um, for that mm -hmm. role, just because uh, I think the lead character is quite internal. Um, so you need somebody who can kind of uh, display that, I suppose, without words. Um, and I think Hazel does that kind of, um, you know, she's she's brilliant at just kind of conveying emotion in the kind of subtlest way. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Hazel was kind of cast first. And then because it's a family, we had to kind of create an ensemble that felt that they would work together. Um, mm -hmm. So we kept it quite open. I didn't want to be too kind of pigeonholing and who would support Hazel in that regard. So we actually had a casting director who we got a load of self tapes. Um, obviously that was kind of COVID times. Uh, so I watched lots of self tapes. I did lots of Zooms. And then when it kind of came down to it, the mother character is incredibly important to the relationship, the mother daughter relationship between the protagonist and her mother. So um, we kind of narrowed it down to final selection of people I felt like maybe could do it. And then um, in the room, we got Hazel and uh, those kind of select few and uh, Carolyn Bracken plays the, the mom in the film and she her and Hazel like she walked out of the room me and Hazel just both were like 
okay sir definitely we just know um mm-hmm. so that was really nice um that we got to do that even though it was kind of covidy um but <laughs> then there's like a our cast is quite big you know there's a lot of um supporting cast as well um so we actually did early auditions for kind of the a friend of the protagonist who she kind of comes to her aid throughout the film and when we did those initial tests that was pre-covid and we were kind of getting people in to read a scene um so all the girls basically we pulled from those auditions that we did to kind of support in that kind of female friend group um that uh yeah that was really fun process as well so uh, yeah I mean like it's kind of casting is kind of mad you know because a different actor it'll be a different film completely you know in one role like it's mad everyone brings their own kind of um thing to it we have Ingrid Craigie plays the grandmother and uh Paul Reed plays the uncle Mm -hmm. of the protagonist and uh when I got the four of them in as a family um in our rehearsals it was the first time all in a room together you just feel it was kind of it made sense and everyone was kind of bouncing off each other and it was really nice so um you know uh that was great it was you know that was in prep so that was really enjoyable just to kind of get to do that even though it was covid we Mm -hmm. kind of just got our tests and did all that kind of rehearsal because i think it's so important um to just get people in a room to talk and just meet each other um, Mm -hmm. and just get to know each other better especially if you're being a family group or they need to have chemistry in some way Um, and yeah i i agree and i wonder was your um like did your budget maybe prevent you from getting someone bigger like say if you did wanted someone uh, i don't know uh, who had a higher price tag would that have immediately been i uh, can't go that way or would you have still tried to to go for that person go, yeah antonia <laughs> can i jump well can i just jump in here because i mean i've been acting a very long time and anybody who thinks they can't get actors because they don't have the money to pay them. I mean, if you're making a, a silly film, you've got to pay somebody big money to do it. It's very simple, they're doing it for the cash. If you've got a special script, money is not an option, an, an object to get a good actor. Like, really, it's not. You know, like, uh, the year before this, I was asked to do the equivalence scheme for Northern Ireland Screen, and I was quite busy at the time, and I immediately went, Oh, the money is, oh no, hang on. (laughs) And uh, I just thought that's exactly what I'm going to be offering people. And ultimately, you know, actors like to work on really special projects. So Mm -hmm. if you've got a great script, I just, I don't think, you know, that if you, if you're approaching an actor who will only do it for the cash, they're the wrong actor. (laughs) That's brilliant advice. No, but it's true. The actor would say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think with casting for our film, like it's um, it's an independent horror movie at the end of the day. So I think when it came to casting, um, I think POV was special in a way that, you know, you didn't feel like you had to, like there wasn't kind of a sales agent saying you have to have yeah. somebody who, who's this way or that way to get the film made because you have the money and you can make the film however you want. Um, mm. So that was nice in a way. But I think with the, you know, I think with horror, you uh, you just want people, the, the right people for it. Because I think horror films are kind of, maybe I'm wrong, but I think horror films can kind of exist in a world where they don't need to rely on names as much. 
and um, when they're kind of lower budget because mm. you know they people go to see horror movies because yeah. they're scary and then you just yeah. need a cast that can make it believable and have people buy into the weird stuff that you're trying to tell them about fairies or whatever and mm-hmm. that's the most important thing do you know what I mean yeah. so yeah. I think I to me I never like was that I, I didn't want kind of big name actors or anything like that you know it was never something I just wanted the people who were right and felt like the characters and felt like they were the real people there in mm-hmm. the film um so that was yeah the most important thing for me really brilliant I, I've got a, a, there is one question coming here that I also wanted to ask myself. Uh, it's from, from Lara O'Mal- O'Malley. Forgive me, Lara, if I messed up your name. Um, she's asking, how important is your relationship with your producer? How do we meet good ones? Is there such a thing as a director-producer Tinder? <laughs> so, basically, yeah. How important is the relationship with the producer, and how do you meet the good one? And that's something I wanted to ask you as well. Like, if you did, did you have to go into this scheme having already a producer, or was that open to to a, a producer being assigned to you? But First, how is how how is the relationship important, and how do you meet a good one, Antonia? <laughs> um, I think it's very difficult. Uh, that would be the only possible criticism. Forgive me, Screen Ireland, but I have to say it is that there was a very quick turnaround. Well, for me, maybe I think people knew about POV before I did. I think there was like an introduction thing or something. But the, you had to submit with a producer. And it is a very important relationship. And so the t- it being necessary to submit with producer meant that I'm sure many people scrambled. There's not many producers around, not enough. And so I'm sure many people ended up in positions where they were the wrong person or couldn't submit. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's very important. And I think if the scheme were to happen again, maybe people should be allowed to submit without a producer and then that pairing comes at a later stage. Okay, great. And what about you, Kate? What is- um, it's a, this is something I get asked a lot, actually, um, because, you know, our, it's kind of a tricky thing because um, when I left college, I was at a film festival when I just graduated and I was talking to this kind of older writer, uh, director guy, And he, I was like, do you have any advice for me as somebody starting out? And he was like, find a producer who's good and marry them. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I thought it was really crazy at the time, but um, like you, they're the person you have to like literally be talking to every single day almost for the how many years you're making this film. So you need to have somebody that you get along with. Um, uh, you know, so I think, somebody that you get along with is important somebody that has the same creative values of you as you is really important um somebody who's able for the job is another you know all these things and you can sometimes find people who are good at one thing and not at the other and that kind of thing it's it's really hard to find producer that you gel with and doesn't mean they're not a good producer they might just not be your producer that you can work with um because you just don't gel or you just something doesn't work um so i think you know it's so hard I think if you I met D Levens because 
she worked with fantastic films and I liked horror and I Mm -hmm. met her for pints because she knew a friend of mine once and then we met again a couple of times for coffee and stuff and then POV came along and I said do you want to do this Mm -hmm. and she said yes um you know so we kind of knew each other already and I knew that Fantastic had a horror background of doing this kind of thing so I I knew that they would be um a good choice for it and you know it, it it there's lots of different ways you can find people I think a good way is I think a lot of people starting out think that you are meant to like go to production companies and go to the people who own those companies and say make my short film or whatever I think the better option is to watch loads of short films find ones that you like and think are good and find out who produced them meet them at a film festival or organize to have a zoom coffee with them and go hey I really liked your film can we have a chat and then if if that's a film you really liked they're going to have the same kind of creative leanings as you or they're going to like the same things as you probably and not always but um yeah I think you just need to meet a lot of people and get to know them like it's it's kind of I feel like it would be absolutely so crazy to jump into doing a feature film with somebody that you didn't know that well yeah (laughs) I probably lots of people who do it but I I just feel like you know a lot is revealed as you you know you become sometimes your ugliest self when you're getting in an argument over you know logistics of a shoot or something and so you want somebody that's gonna have your back and also you know you can have those conversations with and it'll it'll all work out you know what I mean and Dee mm-hmm. in Fantastic was brilliant she was very um why is advice keep going what why is advice I, <laughs> <laughs> I just basically what you're saying is we need to all get vaccinated so we can go back to these festivals and start meeting each other well I mean well, I do you, know, you can meet you can email people and say do you want to have a zoom coffee for mm-hmm. an hour someday and most people people will um, do you know what I mean like you don't need to necessarily be at a film festival to do that I think that's no. that's a great advice yeah go ahead Antonia what do you want to say yeah, I was just saying I mean like I, I do think there's many different types of producers mm-hmm. um like I got to know someone very well years ago from a film I was in and he I think he's one of the best producers there is like he produces for Jonathan Glazer and Lynn Ramsey but he his what he does is his life like nothing comes before that and he would talk about how his filmmakers that those people in particular how he has to parent them and hold them when they are feeling self-destructive and that's what i learned was a good producer you know Mm -hmm. but that's a rare producer also there's not many people that are that devoted and dedicated so i think there are many different types of producers um, that's the kind of producer I want, but uh, I've had to learn that other people want weekends. They think Christmas is important for some reason, etc. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And uh, just just to build on that, do you feel that like for your future um, endeavors, for the future uh, films uh, and projects that you're gonna make, will you be like is the approach to try to stick with your producers who you have now or will you still be kind of venturing out and trying to find uh, other creative voices other people that you might possibly um, um, match with Kate what, what would you what would you say um well I think it's 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 kind of tricky in the film industry in Ireland because I have two projects in development 
um with different companies now so okay. you know those films will be eventually made with the producers in those companies um, all right okay so you know uh and there's like other things you know that come along as well with uh yeah there's a kind of things in the pipeline you kind of would like to work with people you have gotten along with in the past but I think you just kind of have to follow the next thing that will get made and um that's you know probably with one of these other projects that is has been in development a while so hopefully mm -hmm. um and that will be out yeah, with somebody else so okay well it's always good to meet new people and and, and to create new really working relationships right uh, that's what I think so what about you Antonia yeah I mean I was thinking it all kind of depends on where money comes from you know mm -hmm. and like where things yeah it's so often your producers have to be from where the financing comes so mm -hmm. the things that I am working on there in the UK so it's English producer okay all right um wonderful I I have one more question here um from um Aideen McCarthy so I I will just say to our listeners anyone else wants to ask something please please let us know otherwise um we we are almost um at the end of our allotted time um so i'm gonna ask Aideen Aideen mccarthy is asking did you think about audience during the the development process did it impact the script um did you consciously take stills on set and video interviews with cast directors HODs, to promote the film later on so that's kind of two parts did you think about the audience uh, during development and did it impact the script? Maybe we can answer that first. Um, whoever wants to go. No. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think when you're making a horror movie, uh, your audience is king, really. If you don't, uh, you know, you want to, as a horror fan myself, a consumer of horror movies, um, you know, they are the most dedicated, most loyal fan base of movies, I feel. Um, so you want to serve them in the end. Yeah, I, I'm 100% think of the audience. I Because the audience is me. The audience is me and my friends, the editor who made the film. Me and him watch every horror movie that comes on Netflix. Um, do you know, so those are the people you're making the movies for. And, you know, we were watching it as an audience member, predominantly in the edit as well, going, okay, if we were watching this movie well would we want it to be scarier here you know you got to yeah. think of that um as a for that genre i think um for other films maybe not as much mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah uh, i think antonia has that other movie <laughs> no. and, and and what about the what about the whole promotion of of this uh, is that something that screen ireland helped with or did you have to think yourselves about doing interviews and uh um, you know, taking still so that you could promote the film. Antonia. Uh, well, my my stills are just from um, my DP for more kind of looking at the look of it as we went along. So it was definitely not for promotion at all. No, I mean, I again, I can only take a lot of experience as an actor. So I did a film a couple of years ago. Um, that had private equity. And so they had like a press day after one week. And I just couldn't understand why on earth you would want to A, release any material when the film isn't complete at all, let people into something that is in process because it's not showing its better, best self. Um, 
but it is for marketing and it's for money and it's for promotion. But again, like that's what POV scheme allows us to not have to do. Mm-hmm. Not necessary, you know, like we, we have the money is there. So I, yeah, I, I, it was not in any way ever raised or conscious in our minds. I think the work speaks for itself very much in this circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you add to that, Kate? Um, well, we did take loads of stills and did interviews and everything. We did all that stuff. Um, I think, yeah, we did. But I, I, anything. I like that's not. I mean, you need to ask the producer really about that because I was just running around like a headless chicken, being told, "Hey, could you sit down on your lunch break for an interview?" And then I was kind of going like, "I'm gonna, I'm just gonna jump out this window." Um, no. Uh, anything. Luckily, the makeup department uh, took care of me to get my interview done because I was looking like a sea hag. Um, but the, no, we did. Yeah, I think um, fantastic films are very. They're you know with horror and stuff. I think the the mind is that you're gonna sell it and promote it and that kind of thing. So you need to have the you need to have the shot of the scary monster or somebody looking scared to put in the like I don't know bloody disgusting article or whatever dread central um mm-hmm. you need those things yeah um so yeah they, they we got all that done I don't know how that was kind of organized or whatever um I don't know who else did interviews because I was just, just kind of dragged into one one day um <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was it. So it went kind of a little bit past you did it yeah but we did the stills photographer I knew and that she came on days when we we're doing the kind of more fun set pieces. She came to, for the bonfire and stuff. Um, <laughs> there's some very funny stills of me talking very seriously to a monster, uh, which are quite fun. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. I'm sure we'll get to see all of that. And what is what is the so what is the next step for your features? When when uh, when are they coming out? Where are we going to um, see them? I don't know. <laughs> can you say? Can you, I mean, can you say? Like, is there is there a plan, or is it so far a secret? I'm not sure. Is it a secret? I don't know. I mean, like, the, I think the idea is that will Screen Ireland want us to submit to festivals is mm-hmm. usually the first port of call. So, um, we're trying to get our work done for upcoming festivals, and like, you know, mm-hmm. you aim to the first rung of festivals, and you go down in terms of your priority or whatever and um, mm-hmm. but screen ireland kind of have a very mapped out plan of what they want to do with these i think so um i just kind of go cool sounds good uh, <laughs> i mean at the end of the day you know um with all that kind of releasing stuff like we did um on friday last week we went into a private cinema to watch the film and mm-hmm. um, because brooks hotel it's not the best it's like not the best place to watch it, yeah. but it was the best we could get in in the current level five or whatever. Um, and that was on the recommendation of Ashling Walsh, the director. And she was like, don't picture lock your film until you watched it in a cinema experience. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, let's try that if we can, blah, blah. But then when I was sitting there and we watched it, it's like such an immersive experience to be in a cinema and see your film and it just changes how you perceive it completely i think so you know in the end goal for this all i want is for people to see it in a cinema and be able to do that um yeah. and that's like your as a filmmaker that's your only kind of 
that's your highest ambition I think it's just that people get to see it in the way it's meant to be seen mm-hmm. and Antonia do you have any any news about when your film is going to be it is the same I mean mine um, every bit of feedback I've had is that it needs to be seen in cinema and it's funny I mean I'm not a cinema obsessive because I find lots of people sitting in a room silent quite unnerving but I like the space and but mine is very um yeah I mean it's it's very kind of it's got a tempo and the tonality of it is very specific and yeah I mean I guess it it really needs festival placement 100% it's not really a streaming film at all and unfortunately in this day and age and specifically this year we become we live by streaming we stream our personalities and um, so I hope that changes you know I, I have I I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I hope we 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 all do, um, and I I think I will uh, end this conversation there. To wish both of you all the best with your films. Uh, I'm sure everyone can agree that uh, we're excited to see what you've made, and particularly knowing that what conditions you had to make it under. Um, I before so I want to thank you Antonia I want to thank you Kate very much for joining us for talking to us uh, before we wrap it up I just want to uh, say um, uh, that we have a couple more events coming up there is on on Thursday this Thursday uh, we have a coffee chat where we invite all of our members to come onto zoom just like uh, we are hanging out now and talk to us um, our topic this uh, Thursday is, you know, the gender gender balance in Irish film industry. How you know how far have we come since the POV scheme and since Screen Ireland introduced um, uh, schemes to basically to give women more opportunities. So let's just meet up, talk about it, share with us your experience, and then on Friday the 16th of April, I will be chatting to uh, director Hannah Quinn. Uh, she's going to talk to me about her career and uh, directing uh, big budget TV shows. So I hope that you can join us. Uh, we've got limited spaces for both events. Uh, please uh, sign up, uh, encourage your friends to sign up, become our members. We, we um, hope that more people will join and support women in film and television. Thank you, everybody. Kate, Antonia, wishing you all the best. Thank you so much for your time. And Thank uh, you. hope to see you at uh, in person at a film festival. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank okay, you. bye everybody. Thanks. Since this podcast was recorded, we're delighted to say that Kate Dolan's film "You Are Not My Mother" has been selected to premiere as part of the Midnight Madness strand at TIFF this September. Massive congratulations to Kate and also to your producer, Deirdre Levins. To support Women in Film and TV Ireland and find out more about the work we do, log on to wft.ie. Also, filmmakers, the deadline for our short film showcase is Friday 17th of September at 5pm. Log on to our site to find out how you could submit your film and be in with a chance of winning some very special prizes.